listening to Belt of Truth, conversations arming laity, powered by the Armor of God Men's Movement. Visit our website at armingmen.com. Hi, I'm Father Jay Horning. You are listening to the Belt of Truth. Why wouldn't you? Heavenly Father, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on our hearts and on our minds, that as we enjoy this conversation, as we enjoy learning more about you through our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might grow in communion with you, in communion with the Trinity who gives us life and salvation, and that that growth in communion might lead us to greater action in this world in the building up of your kingdom until you come in glory. Amen. Welcome, friends. You're listening to The Belt of Truth. I'm Rob Gregory. I'm here with a friend of mine, Dr. Alex Giltner. Dr. Giltner, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. That's right. This is, uh, this is, oh, this is a repeat. That's right. Yep. And we've said this before. You have to be pretty special to get asked to come back. I Yeah. This is a three-peat, in fact. So it was like, <laughs> this is the Chicago Bulls type thing <laughs> That's going right. Here. That's so right. Yep. Feeling kind of Michael Jordan. Um, so <laughs> You yeah. should. You, you should. And I think of you that way, by the way. <laughs> I really do. And so much so, like, again, a a quick plug, you are teaching a semester of the St. Paul School Leaders coming up. And so I am super excited about that. I've told so many people about it because you're, you're so relatable and like a real dude. And like, you know, I think I can learn so much from you and you're already a college professor. So it's like, you know how to teach. So I'm excited, man. I'm excited too. It's, it's great. And looking at salvation history and kind of how God has unfolded this story of of bringing creation um, from its depths to its completion and letting us take part in that is just I think it's it's incredible. So yeah, it's it's going to be good. I think that we're going to have a lot of fun. I think that m- most of the bewilderment that can come from Scripture. For Protestants and Catholics, I think this notion that Catholics are just like terrified of scripture is, I don't think it's necessarily true, but I think part of what can be bewildering about scripture is various ways of knowing how to approach it. And one of the ways that I feel is very, it's, it's especially been very powerful, not just for me and my journey, but also for my students is understanding the Bible as a story. And so it's not just these random story, historical, whatever bits thrown together that are accidents of history. And then like, no, like the entire Bible is a overarching story. It has plot, it has um, movements and acts, and it's designed to tell the entire history of the cosmos itself. And so I feel like once people can see the overarching story of scripture, they can start to make sense of some of the weirder bits because mm. there's some there's some strange stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. And then you throw a little bit of, you know, historical work in there and a lot of like theological interpretation and you start to much better make sense of what's going on. And that can help with some of the weirder or more, I mean, unsettling stuff that you find in scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there is like you can put this stuff in a and a framework that a, a person like me can understand. So thank you for bringing it to my level, which yeah. is like the third grade level. So. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do third grade <laughs> salvation, class, history. salvation history. <laughs> yep. um, I got some great picture books that we're going to look at. It's going to be great. That's my style right there. <laughs> um, well, thank you again for that. And I'm looking forward to that. The Belt of Truth podcast is made possible in part 
by the generous financial support from local Catholic businesses in the Fort Wayne South Bend Diocese through the Catholic media company, Our Local Parish. To learn more on how you could support these businesses and watch some powerful interviews with our local priests and lady, go to OurLocalParish.com. Worship local, support local. Thank you, and God bless. So I, I guess the, where I'd like to start today is the, the question of, uh, uh, let me set the backdrop. So we, we got into last time, your education, St. Louis U, right? Mm-hmm. And you have a doctorate. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you've invested in the knowledge and you teach theology. Mm-hmm. So you have a background in this. Somewhere along the way, you heard something, felt something, or something stirred in your heart to become Catholic because you weren't a baptized Catholic. Yeah. So let's start there. What happened to you? And you don't have to go too elaborate in terms of like mm-hmm. everything that was going on in yeah, your life, sure. but like, what was, what was it that, cause I mean, Scott Hahn's been honest about his journey, like where he was kind of like in a position to like be anti-Catholic for mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. And then this happened to him. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, I got to start looking into that. Cause that's real. And yeah. so what was it for you? Yeah. So I think, the the first thing I would want to clarify is that like I I didn't even grow up in the church. My parents went kind of through some like churchy phases, but it was my mom was raised kind of nominal Catholic, and my dad I I'm not even clear about how his how he was raised. I know that his mother went to church, but um really. There was just, that just wasn't around except for at various points. And so I really, I learned some Bible stories or something like that, but, um, I wasn't baptized. I, I didn't have a grounding. I had no formation whatsoever in this regard. So when I, when I thought about Christianity, I had just general tropes and ideas that you see in the media that people grew up around. Um, I had some basic knowledge about Jesus dying for sins. Um, and so it, it just, it was just kind of one of the stories out there. After high school, I had a very intense stint with substance abuse. Um, I'm a recovering addict and I've had two kind of stints and that was the first one. And, um, through that, basically in just just like complete desperation like i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna end up in jail i'm gonna end up dead or i you know can try this christianity thing um i got saved you know uh whatever that means exactly and so my first movement was into a kind of fundamentalist protestant not technically evangelical this tradition the restoration movement but basically evangelical. And I thought like, okay, well, you know, I, I, if I'm going to, if I'm going to become a Christian, I should probably like figure out what the Bible says, right? That's like what you do, right? The Bible's about Christianity. And so I went and I did my degree in undergrad in a small university or is Ozark uh, Christian college college. And um, I started studying the Bible and I quickly started to see that there are issues with looking at scripture purely through the lens of history and that 
produce certain kinds of tensions that um, uh, some apologists will try to solve with this thing or that thing. Um, so like, why does it say that Noah took two animals of each and then another place it says seven animals of each and like those contradict each other. And so the Bible must be false. And how did he fit all those things on the ark? And, you know, these are just examples. There's like a plenty of examples, some real and some just kind of based on not knowing how to read the Bible at all. But um, I started to feel that kind of breakdown because if the text isn't trustworthy, then how do we know any of this is true? And at the same time, I was heading down um, what was originally a road where I was very interested in apologetics, which if you don't know what like apologetics are, it's basically like this defense of the faith. And, and, and apologetics can be very, can be very um, powerful. It can be very helpful, but an, an issue, a, a um, possible weakness of apologetics is you're basically learning scripts of arguments. And so it's a lot of like, well, when they, so you say this, and then when they say this back, you say this, and then it, and, and so it's, it's, it, it looks like philosophy, but it's not. It's kind of on that surface level. It's not bad, but it's it's not the depth of thought that goes into this. And at least in my experience, the Protestant traditions very rarely had a full grasp of the larger intellectual tradition that the Catholic Church and, of course, the Eastern Orthodox and such have have developed over you know two thousand years. And so I started having these questions and not finding answers. And so I started getting into philosophy and started reading uh, a lot. And I kind of came uh, upon uh, postmodernism. And at the time, postmodernism seemed very attractive to me because it recognized the real tensions that people have about how do we really know what's true and what constitutes truth is there such a thing as truth? And is the world not just like all these stories and all humans are just telling stories? They're just telling stories to each other, they're telling stories to themselves. And so this was attractive because it's like, okay, I don't have to know the truth of all truths. I can accept that this story is the way that I move through. And then that, of course, opened me up to a lot of progressive thought. And so by the time I was done with my undergrad and was entering to master's, uh, which was in church history, because my thought was, I learn scripture, learn church history, then I'll do theology, and I'll be, you know, good, ready to go. And my, at that point, I had become deeply progressive, really swallowed the entire like uh, neo Marxist postmodern narrative. Um, and just a quick note on that there are some people that deny that there's such a thing, and I, it's no, it's a thing. <laughs> and, um, yes, it could sound like I'm repeating lines and slogans from YouTube videos, but I've actually studied the history of this and this is a thing. Mm. Um, and it, you know, it goes back even further than Marx and it involves also thinkers like Nietzsche and then later fruitions of that and thinkers like Foucault, um, whom I've written on. I'm, I, I, and so I, I say that not to, sound learned. I say that to, to, to express that I do know this story. And, and so I had kind of swallowed that hook, line and sinker. And that really makes a mess of truth. And then 
is in a strange way, this therapeutic attempt to live in that mess, right? And so it's really just priming for relativism. That's happening on one side. And on the other side, I'm deeply, deeply tired of the way that I've seen Protestantism um, expressed and especially like church is this like very uncomfortable experience where, you know, we get in and, and we sing like three Jesus is my boyfriend songs and <laughs> they kind of like crescendo and then they get real quiet. <laughs> and then this preacher comes on and, and, and talks at me for like 30 minutes and then there's an offering and maybe an invitation and then we sing a song and we leave. And so uh, I decided I was going to go to Catholic church and see what all that's about. And when I was at mass, it was cold and the, I get, I don't know if the heat wasn't working or if they just weren't into it. It's just, um, <laughs> Catholic church. It was um, St. Peter's and Paul, I believe it was called. It might've been just St. Peter's, but anyway, and I went and I experienced liturgy for the first time. And um, while I, liturgy didn't become the basis of my salvation, like some might uh, want to claim, uh, liturgy really struck me because there was clearly this structure that was that was rooted in something. And the way that we were acting out the liturgy clearly was telling this like narrative arc of what salvation is about. And I remember very clearly, in fact, you know, and I had been trained by these Protestants to be very suspicious of Catholicism. And at the time when we did the Alleluia for the reading of the gospel, he lifted the gospel up right at the moment we started singing Alleluia. And I just got like tears. I was just like so powerful to me. And also I'd started reading the Apostolic Fathers and they're saying all this stuff that's, you know, supposedly Catholic and they're saying it within a generation or two, same culture, same language. They're saying things like bishops have to be present for a sacrament to be valid, that the Eucharist is the real body and blood of Christ. It's the medicine of immortality. And so there's kind of like these two things happening where I'm feeling on the one hand, like I'm losing my grip on truth. But on the other hand, there's this powerful presentation that seems to be ages old, and I clearly don't understand it totally. And so I, these are the kind of two trajectories I was going down, this kind of progressive way and then this Catholic way. And as I got deeper into my studies and in historical theology and in church history, I started to see the story of the church a lot more clearly. But I was kind of on this journey of figuring out, okay, what is true, what's not, and then if that's true, what is that truth? And for me, being in this like philosophical avenue of postmodern thought, it became clear to me that if there is no such thing as truth, or if truth is all relative, then there can't be real meaning to anything, right? And so this is a cosmic accident, and when we, you know, die, that's it. We're done. Loss of consciousness, end of consciousness. And so basically, like, you know, it's, it's nihilism. We can call it existentialism, put some lipstick on it and say, like, nah, it's a nihilism that looks pretty, but like, whatever we do, like, this is what we're stuck with. Like, truth is, is a joke. 
And so it's all, and, and, and then I was just constantly struck with this thing of how do I know? How can I know? How can I know anything? How do I know anything? How do I know I'm touching this table right now? Like this kind of like brutish skepticism. And on the other hand, I'm feeling so moved by the power of the church and the power of the Christian story and being able to bring together a really um, rooted historical understanding of the Bible with the church's tradition and see how that developed and come to a place where I really see the logic of Christianity itself. And while I'm doing all that, I am at a Catholic school, which, you know, every like Thursday or Friday, we all go to happy hour and start drinking again. And then pretty soon I'm right back into substance abuse. Right. And so I got postmodernism, I got Catholicism and I've got gin and tonic mm. and, um, or gin and soda actually, cause I was trying to, you know, watch my sugars. <laughs> um, so, so this is what I'm struggling with. And I, I've come to this place, this like, this like kind of fork in the road place where I know all the arguments for the most part for like God's existence and truth and stuff like that on the one hand. But on the other hand, I don't know if I can trust any rational thought. I don't know if I can trust any of that stuff. Isn't it patriarchal? Isn't it, you know, formed by traditions that are basically just power plays. And in the midst of that, I'm also like drinking myself blind and engaging in other substance activities. And so I'm, I'm living a terrible life of, of just depression and darkness and all the while I'm writing this, I'm, I'm, I'm going through grad school and then starting like work on my dissertation to write this whole thing about theology. And I don't know what I think. I don't know where I'm going. And it was, it was, it's hard to overstate the darkness of that period for me. And like everywhere I turned, I felt like I couldn't trust my own even senses. And so. There was this kind of, there were kind of three catalytic moments along that journey. One was recognizing the way Catholicism actually works and its logic. The other was seeing the bankruptcy of the postmodern progressive worldview. And then there was facing the, the substance abuse and what was really a recalcitrance on my part not wanting to surrender to Jesus, but partly because I didn't, I didn't know him. I knew things about him, knew things about theology, knew things about the church, but I hadn't met Jesus. And so what became clear to me is that when I became Catholic in 2012, that was kind of in the early middle of this journey, because, you know, I'd come to the conclusion that the church is either correct. And so if, if God is real, Jesus is his guy. And then the church must be kind of the correct way, uh, the true church, or it's all nihilism. It's all broken. And in the midst of that, this helps me see that I can hold all of these postmodern beliefs and I can choose what I want to believe about Catholicism and what I don't because I'm not committed to the church or the people. I'm committed to this idea framework. And what became increasingly clear is that part of the idea framework of the church is that she stewards the revelation from God. And so her teachings are not like a, you know, the proverbial um, buffet, you know, you just take what you want and you leave the rest. And so it became clear to me that 
it's very difficult to maintain a Catholic faith while also not accepting all these things the Catholic Church teaches. And the kind of, you know, when I converted, you know, do you believe and profess all that the Catholic Church proclaims and teaches? And I've got kind of my fingers crossed behind my back. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and so that started to create a, a tension for me. And then there was this progressive postmodern Marxist kind of line, which that would take a whole other episode. But I will say quickly that I started to see problems in the logic of that, problems in the logic of how we are kind of trapped in these power plays. And so all our truth is like constructed and formed around winners and losers. And there's only like good guys and bad guys in the world. And the, the bad guys are all the rich white people. And then the good guys are like everybody who has any sort of socially conditioned type of suffering. And I started to see problems with that, problems that you can find really quickly just by a cursory look into this, we'll call it an ideology, we'll call it an ideology. <laughs> and, um, and I started seeing how it was rooted in certain philosophical assumptions about the world. And I recognized pretty soon that you can't have the notion that all truth is constructed and that's a trustworthy statement because that by definition would have to be a constructed truth. Mm -hmm. So how do I know that? And then I started to see some of what I would call the intolerance of the progressive mindset that you're either an ally and by ally you swallow everything or you are an enemy and by virtue of being an enemy or a morally bankrupt bigot. And for me being, you know, like a little bit more nuanced, I was like, you can't just think that, that there's just good guys and bad guys in the world. And then like you either swallow this whole or you don't. And so I was, I was actually, I was very involved in what would become uh, gosh, I don't know if we should go here or not, but I was very involved in what would become the Black Lives Matter movement. And I marched with the Michael Brown um, when they didn't indict uh, Darren Wilson, I think was his name. Um, and I remember we were like on the Highway 44 when it was like shut down and there were people walking on cars and it was crazy. And what I realized was there were certain things that I couldn't go along with, morally speaking. One of them was uh, transitioning of children. I never could see that. I never could accept that. The other was abortion. Like, clearly, if, if a person is a person, then they're probably a person from the moment they start to exist, not something they become later on. And so you can't kill an innocent person. And what I found was it was impossible to allow that I could have those divergent thoughts and be a part of this group. And so I was, as I became more vocal about it and more vocal about the fact that I can't really share this out without being ousted, I became ousted. And so this really brought to a head the brokenness, but it hadn't quite resolved all of my philosophical questions about truth. And so for me, the concept real, that really came to bear was truth has to require an authority. It has to require some basis by which the person understands and knows the truth. Some of that comes quite naturally through reason and logic, but 
what if reason and logic is tainted by patriarchy or whatever you want to call it? And so in the midst of that, I came to understand that when I, as a Christian, am trusting what Christianity teaches, then I'm not acquiescing simply to a set of propositions or to an idea. I'm becoming a part of a people similar to like marriage. Like I don't accept the propositions of my wife and truths about her. I become wedded to her. And then secondly, recognizing that the truth of Christianity rests not on simply arguments or a text or something like that, but rather the unrelenting and holistic expression of who that people is and unchangingly committing itself, committing herself to the principles that she holds dear. And so basically, that's a fancy way of saying, I realized the church was smarter than me and she knew more than me. And she had been dealing with these things that I thought were brand new in my brain for thousands of years. And that when you understand that story unfolding, you see that you have to, in humility, say, I actually don't know the answers and I can't figure them out by myself. Uh, I can't go sit in a room and come to some cogito ergo sum. I think therefore I am and therefore everything's going to fall into place. And so this, this was the answer to the postmodern critique for me. And it opened up this ability to trust that there are certain thoughts that we have that we, we can't say are constructive. They have to be true. And so I came to Bonaventure's argument for the existence of God, which is beautiful and very simple. If something exists now and something cannot come from nothing, so existent, non-existence can't pop existence into being, then if something exists now, then something must have always existed. If something always existed, there must be some aspect of existence which is eternal. If it's eternal, it has to be infinite. If it's infinite, it has to be omnipotent, omniscient. And suddenly I realized this is, this is it. God exists. Therefore, truth exists. Therefore, he can communicate. And the communication is most clearly seen through the scriptures and the church's teaching, which culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. And so all that was happening. And one night I was laying in bed. I, I think I woke up and was kind of a start and I was like kind of sweaty and whatnot and just feeling like, uh, uh, and I didn't know what was wrong. I knew I wasn't drunk. Um, so I thought maybe it was like having a panic attack or something. And so I got up and I got in the shower. This is right before I defended my dissertation actually. So 2017 and, uh, that kind of didn't settle me down and I was just, I wasn't really sure. And so I got back into bed and, you know, all these things have been swirling around in my mind. And then suddenly I had this experience that I don't know if it was a vision or I don't know, like I can't use those kinds of words. I, just, I can't explain it that way. But what I felt was there was, there was me on my bed and then like I was in my bedroom. It was probably like, um, I don't know, like three or four feet to the wall, probably three feet. And on the other side of that was like hell. And it was this, like I could feel this, like I could hear the struggle and I could hear the, the anguish. And it wasn't an anguish of people just like 
burning or something, but it was like these people who were like consuming each other. And uh, I know this sounds really wacky, but, um, and then I felt like the waves of heat coming from the wall. And then suddenly I felt them inside of me. And there was this like smoldering feeling and it was the pain of my sin. And I realized that all of these things were simply an expression of the fact that I didn't want to let go of my sin. And not just because I was like evil, because I was scared and hurt. And my sin was the only way I'd learned how to cope. And, and so caught in this moment, God said to me, and it was not in English. This is a rough translation, but it was something like, I am a God of joy. But if you continue to fight me, I will become to you a God of wrath. And I realized in that moment that God's position towards me is unchangingly the same. It's my position towards him that makes the difference between joy and wrath. He just looks at me in love. But if I reject that, it becomes wrath because I now have to face the consequences of rejecting the meaning of my and purpose of my existence versus if I accept it and thus accept that I need to change. I become brought into his joy. And so I woke, I got up and I was freaking out and I didn't know what to do. And so I knelt at my bed and I had this like kind of to, uh, totally at lege moment, um, which is Augustine, the take and read. And so I grabbed the Bible and I opened it up and I went to Psalm 51. I was reading a Psalm that, you know, is attributed to David after his sin with Bathsheba. And we got to the part where it said, a contrite heart, O oh Lord, you will not despise. And I knew in that moment I was sorry. I was contrite. And I thought, well, this is the promise. If I'm contrite, he won't despise it. He will forgive me. And it was like, tss, like water on coals. I felt like bathed in this, like, in the spirit. And I just like started to sing and I knew that I had encountered the living God. And then after that, everything fell into place. It was just a few months later I was drinking and I just got this feeling of like this, this, it was a communication that like, well, enjoy it. Cause this is the last night you're going to do it. And, uh, I woke up the next day and I haven't had a drink since. And, um, I, you know, I just, it was interesting because it was like this arrested development where all the things I'd been learning over these years suddenly clicked into place. And then it was this like accelerated movement towards like discipleship. And, and so from there, I, that was, that was it. I finally converted and it was a conversion to a story and a people that God had wrought out of history and grafted me into. And now I didn't have to trust in my own power and thought I didn't have to save myself. I didn't have to figure out the universe. I could just accept the truth that God has revealed. And I became a Christian. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's just outrageous. Like the, the honesty and the vulnerability and the reality of that story is riveting. The, I mean, I just am struggling with like follow up 
But like my question, I think the only thing I can even bring myself to think at this point is that was several years ago. Is there any question in your mind that what happened to you and the the changes that happened to your life were true, honest, and correct? Is there any doubt in your mind since then that this is real? No, 100% okay. not. Um, no, no. I mean, like you always – you always have those thoughts like, what if it was a dream or, but it doesn't matter. If it was a dream, God can communicate through a dream. And, and now, you know, years down from the journey, living to the best of my ability and by the grace of God, um, I see the fruit. Like now I see, you know, it's like one aspect that I think is really powerful about this is that I, I, you know, I was drinking at least a fifth of alcohol a day and at that moment, when I woke up on March 19th, which is Feast of St. Joseph, from that moment on, I never had a single craving, physical or mental. I, it was like a switch. And then I could suddenly, I could be at a bar. They could be drinking lemonade for all I cared. It was like, no, and then I had no withdrawal effects. I've been drinking like this for years, been using other substances, and I just quit cold turkey and, I had no withdrawals. I had no sweats. I had no dreams. I had no shakes. I had nothing. It was like, it was as if I just that whole physiological history had just been erased. And so in my mind, that is an undeniable miracle because I don't know that it's physiological, pos physiologically possible to quit years of substance abuse and have no effects whatsoever. The clarity I had suddenly and the conviction just couldn't have come from me. But even then, by committing to the life and having God lead me through his grace and his spirit through this life, I've seen then all the fruits that come from it. Because if you're, if you're practicing Christianity seriously, there's going to be some dark moments, but there's also going to be these, these, this happens where like you just get confirmation and it, it comes through fruit. It comes through graces. It comes through miracles. It, it comes through these moments where you, you just know, like, nope, this is it. And so, um, and I do think that's a great consolation that most of us, if not all of us receive in some way, shape or form. And that's kind of the gift of faith, the virtue of faith that we are given. So, yeah, I mean, of course there's, it's not like I like suddenly have never doubted ever again, anything that it's ever happened. But then I always like keep playing the tape. If you pause on that moment, it can get pretty scary. But if you just keep playing the tape and you start saying like, okay, wait a second, hold on a second. Let's look at this whole story. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't doubt it for a second. And, and this is so deep into the, the real meaning of Christianity to me and the meaning of God being love. It was my choice. And he offered, he wooed, he initiated, he invited, he welcomed. He supported, he established, he, he made it happen. All I had to do was say yes. And all those years prior, I'd just been saying no for whatever reason. And once I gave it to him, then I could let it happen. Everything else cascaded down from there. And so no, I've never doubted. Yeah. That's, I mean, the, the amount of, people that I encounter with my now sober mind, the story is, is on repeat. There are so many people that are stuck uh, with, 
what typically starts with woundedness of some sort. Sure. And then they mask it with something, mm-hmm. whether it be uh, their work or sex or drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, and I've talked about this on the show a couple of times. I think alcohol is a big problem for a lot of people that they don't, when they want to face. I mean, oh, I was yeah. that guy for a long, long time. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, now that I've like, kind of like you, I've stepped away with a sober mind. I see things. And like I said this before, my wife told me the second she knew she could trust me as the spiritual leader of her home is when she saw me officially stop drinking and go to mass every day. Yeah, She was like, now I know I can trust you. Yeah. Before that, she was always reserved, always holding back. Walls were up. Right. So I guess my point in saying all that is hearing your story, which thank you for that. What it's, it's kind of revealing how many people are in the same story. We're all in the same story. Mm-hmm. I was in that story. I continue to live that story. And it's, it's crazy to me, like how simple it is. It, it comes down to the word surrender. Mm-hmm. And like you said, just you got to give it up. You can't do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. But the men of our, um, men's movement with armor of God and, and plenty of the women that we interact with in our lives. So many people are dealing the same stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Um, thank you for that witness because I think it's empowering for people to know that they're not the only ones. Yeah. I mean, that's the strength of a lot of even like AA, which that's not what I did, but has helped a lot of people. I think it's just like seeing that you're not the only one and that this story is a lot of other people's story as well. Mm -hmm. And you realize like you do have community, you do have camaraderie. Um, You're not alone. So as it relates to the brokenness that we have in our world today and people finding their way through that, are you hopeful? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many reasons that I could say that I'm hopeful, but I think especially, you know, relevant to this conversation if god can get to me and he can change me well then he can do that with anyone Mm. like that that's it right except this is a trustworthy statement christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am the worst paul says this and he says this about himself but he says this is a trustworthy saying this is this true about all of us And so if God can reach into the mess, the hell that I was in and bring me out into life and truth and faith, then he can do it. Like that's the, that's the old Testament, right? Like where there was desert springs will flow where there was, where there was barrenness fruit will flower. Like this is what he does. This is his whole thing. He makes dead things alive. Dr. Gellner, thank you. What a powerful witness. And I thank you very much for being honest and truthful today with us and just sharing your story. And thank you for your hope and encouragement, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you guys very much. You've been listening to Belt of Truth, powered by the Armor of God Men's Movement, located in Fort Wayne, South Bend Diocese in Fort Wayne, For more information about Belt of Truth and Armor of God, visit armingmen.com.